Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you have listened to the podcast before, and hopefully you have, you know I have spoken with people from across the country and all levels of government, from borough council like myself to state senator, state representative, mayors of cities like Providence, Rhode Island, um, and all the way up to members of Congress and U.S. Senate. Uh, and today, I am very excited to talk to someone who I've been trying to talk to for months. And I'm actually kind of glad that we didn't talk until now because there's so much that we can pack into this conversation that we haven't talked before. Um, my guest is a um, grandson of immigrants. He is from Georgia. And it's a state that has, you know, gone through a lot in just the past few months since I started talking to my guest today. Um, it includes really saving our country and our democracy, if you look at it from my perspective, with electing two um, important senators, two of the best senators, I think, in the country, um, uh, voting for uh, Joe Biden in a crucial state by narrow margins, dealing with issues of voter suppression and conspiracies, dealing with anti-Asian hate crimes, uh, as we saw, which was very tragic and terrible, uh, and dealing now with the COVID situation, vaccines rolled out, and just a lot in general. Um, So my guest today is State Representative Sam Park from Georgia. And Sam, welcome to the podcast. I have a very important question for you after all of these months and all things you've been witness to and part of. How are you? Well, happy to be here with you, Tony. Um, I'm feeling better after a very difficult legislative session. And um, I mean, it's just been... uh, busy to say the least over the past six to eight months um, um, here in Georgia, going back to the November election, really the past year. Um, but, you know, was able to catch my breath uh, and, and recharge to a certain degree, but, you know, back at it. <laughs> and, you know, I look at your story, the way you present yourself. Um, it's a very American story in that it is really a story to me, a story of hope, of progress. Uh, and is that how you felt in, you know, starting out your life in politics? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, I'm proud of my Korean heritage, but I'm born and raised in in Georgia. Um, and you know, this is the only home that I know of. Um, and so, you know, proud to be an American and, you know, despite the challenges that we face. And I think it's because of that love of country uh, that that one makes me want to ensure that we live up to our values um, and, and the promise of what this country can be um, and ensure that the opportunities that I've had are also guaranteed and secure for the next generation and those who are going to come back. So the thing that I think about a lot when talking with people on this podcast is um, just where people came into this, when they first thought that politics was interesting, that governing in some way was a goal. Do you remember when, have you always cared about what was going on politically and in government, or did something kind of inspire you? Because you have had a pretty interesting and cool career. So growing up, um, you know, politics was something that definitely was not on my radar. Um, You know, growing up in a in a family where financial security and stability was our primary objective, um, you know, that was the focus uh, to make sure that we would have a roof over our head and, and food on the table, um, which is similar to many uh, 
you know, low-income immigrant families. Um, I think the first time I really began to uh, be engaged in Georgia politics and, and the Georgia State Legislature was during my second year of law school in my mid to late 20s, uh, where I drafted a piece of legislation that would provide uh, skilled nursing services for medically fragile children. And through that process, had an opportunity to step foot in the Georgia State Legislature for the very first time in my life. Um, that was back in 2012, where I had an opportunity to meet Stacey Abrams, who was minority leader of the Georgia House Democratic Caucus at the time. And, and I went to her office because there was a piece of legislation that was moving that infuriated me, um, which would have essentially drug-tested TANF recipients, TANF recipients mm -hmm. being uh, temporary assistance for needy families, 75 to 80% of those recipients being women and children. So to stigmatize those in need was something that I found so wrong. And, and so I went to Stacey, uh, Leader Abrams' office, and I asked her, what can I do to help kill this bill? And, and that was how I got my start in, in politics. She, she helped open the door uh, to give someone like me, a, a young, gay, Asian, uh, millennial, uh, an, an opportunity to, to get involved and, and, and to serve. Um, all of that to say, you know, I, I was never interested in running for office even back then. Um, I thought, especially growing up in Georgia, that was something that simply was not available to someone like me. Mm -hmm. um, for some context, back, uh, so two years prior, so in 2010, I believe that's when Georgia amended its constitution to define marriage as between a man and a woman. Um, and so... While the legislative process was fascinating to me and that it was an opportunity for people to come together to find common ground and ultimately uh, solve incredibly com uh, complex uh, uh, collective issues that we all faced, never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I could do this. Well, here you are, thankfully. Um, so you did run for office and you, you have a really cool background of experience before that I, I know you worked for uh, not yet congressman uh, jamie raskin who was a guest on my podcast uh, a year ago right before the pandemic hit um so through your experience working with stacy abrams jamie raskin seeing others you when you ran for office you probably had some idea of what to did you have an idea of what to expect not at all <laughs> so so my, my, the beginning of my path on public service, which, you know, again, um, happened thanks in part to Stacey Abrams going back almost a decade now, um, you know, my, my focus and what I thought I wanted to do was my, my ideal job, I should say, was to be a legislative director, mm -hmm. right, uh, to, to focus on, on the policy and not the politics. Um, with uh, Jamie Rath. So after law school, I, I received a fellowship to obtain my master's in law, um, which is where I met now Congressman Jamie Raskin, uh, who, who served as a mentor for me for about a year. Um, but I was his research fellow at American University Washington College of Law, where I was getting my master's. And then I had an opportunity to spend, um, uh, believe it was the 2014 legislative session and the Maryland state legislature as his legal aid when he was a state senator. Um, and that in and of itself was a fascinating experience going from the minority party in Georgia to the majority party in, in Maryland. Um, but 
you know, who would have known that all that experience would have ultimately allowed me to really be where I am today. The, the circumstances in which I went from, you know, working behind the scenes to ultimately running for office um, were, were personal, uh, quite frankly. So going back to 2014, I just uh, finished my master's program, passed the Georgia bar. Um, you know, being aware of all the issues and debates that, that we were uh, addressing at the time. Um, in Georgia, we were having, Georgia in 2014 is when they passed legislation uh, to take the power to expand Medicaid uh, away from the governor uh, to the state legislature. And so they were one of very a few handful of states that made it harder to expand Medicaid given the backlash uh, to the Affordable Care Act and, and Obamacare. Um, and so that was the big policy issue that was top of mind in the beginning of 2014, though I was in Maryland at the state, the Maryland state legislature at the time. At the end of 2014, in December of 2014, uh, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so politics and next steps as to, you know, my legal profession, that all went to the wayside. Yeah. Um, I became my mother's primary caretaker for a few months. Um, ensured that she had Medicaid and Medicare, given her diagnosis, uh, which she was eligible for both as well as her age. Um, and the big policy issue became suddenly very personal. And, and ultimately, it was that experience of taking her to her chemo appointments every, every two weeks that taught me firsthand, especially as I started to receive uh, the medical bills, uh, where her chemo cost $30,000 a month, uh, where, again, all that to say, you know, the big lesson that I learned was that access to healthcare is a matter of life or death. And so that became the spark in my belly uh, to ultimately run for office and to try and take my mother's battle and the struggle that she was facing and to do some good with it, to, to use that, to share her story uh, and, and to ultimately ensure and hopefully help hundreds of thousands of Georgians who still don't have access uh, to healthcare due to the Republican obstruction that we see today. Yeah, I recently was talking with a state representative from Georgia, uh, Jessica Karjala, um, and after talking with over 100 people here, I found uh, people in Montana, the Democrats, to be really inspiring. Because in addition to Georgia, um, you know, you, you know these uphill battles. Like you talked about Maryland, and like, wow, they're able to do things. They're able to do things that we would love to do, something simple, um, more complicated. Um, there's a, there's a human, um, cost, I don't know if it's cost, but like a weight on the shoulders of people like yourself and your colleagues that, you know, the human aspect of this, like you're, it, people are looking at it as a legislator, like, oh, well there's dollars and cents, or there's this constituency for um, partisan issues. But, um, you know, do you have, find that as a legislator and having a caucus with you that you're able to lean on each other and lean on people for, it is stressful, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, as challenging as the work can be, as challenging as it may be to serve in, in the legislature, um, you know, when all is said and done, we're fighting for people. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're fighting to improve the lives of people. I think uh, Biden, during his joint address to Congress um, a few days ago, or last week, I think it was, sorry, a little scatterbrained there in terms of timing, um, he said it, he articulated it so well, which is that government, whether it's a city council, a state legislature, or the U.S. Congress, it's not this foreign 
behemoth that's lurking out there. It's us. It's it's comprised of people who are who coming from all different types of backgrounds, informed by those life experiences, are ultimately trying to address the problems that as human beings, as American citizens, we collectively face. That's the beauty of the system that we have, as imperfect and as flawed as it may be, and as challenging uh, as as the process may be, even if you're in the majority, even if you had a majority, it's still difficult to find common ground, uh, build uh, a coalition, find compromise, and and you know make progress on significant issues. But just because it's difficult is, does not mean that it's impossible. Yeah, and the on the flip side too, it does make your work and your presence in the legislature and you and the others um, so much more valuable. And I know. You have been tweeting about the upcoming elections in Georgia for next year, for 2022, um, with a lot of, you guys have some really cool people in Georgia, to be honest. And, um, not that we don't hear in Pennsylvania, but, um, you know, you see a different kind of um, importance to those races for governor, for secretary of state, for everything, than someone might who may not, um, who may take it for granted in a state like Maryland. Like, yeah, of course we'll do it, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, Georgia, I, I think, is clearly demonstrating that it is changing. It's, it's beginning to move forward. That, that Georgians, and, and I'm born and raised, right? I, I am a Georgian, though mm-hmm. I may not look it. Um, you know, you know, this is home. And, and I think we want to see meaningful progress um, because we're not isolated. We're not in a bubble. Uh, as an example, uh, you know, when it comes to Medicaid expansion, yeah, the, the topic can be wonky uh, to a certain degree, but, you know, more than two-thirds of the states in our union have already passed it to great success in terms of increasing access to health care for low-income folks. And for them, especially for those who benefit from good public policy, um, you know, these are, these are life-changing opportunities. Um, that again, I think ultimately allows us to live up to the potential and and the promise that this country provided, in which all of us have that opportunity uh, to to live free and and to pursue happiness and and to pursue our American dreams. Um, you know, healthcare is one one component of it, but education is another. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's public education, I went to public schools um, in Georgia. We have the Hope Scholarship that completely provided. Uh, for for my undergraduate education, I didn't have to go and debt a single dollar uh, for that. I, I do have a lot of student loans from law school and from a master's program. Don't get me wrong, another issue that needs to be addressed. But again, it's it's the work that we can do uh, through the law that benefits people's lives that should hopefully encourage all of us to lean in with the understanding that yes, we can come together and solve collective problems. Uh, not not just solve the problems that we face, but to make life better for us. So you talked about when you were some of the things that inspired you from an earlier earlier age. Because to me, you're still an early age, I guess. But so, um, but Georgia was a different state politically, socially in 2010, which is not that long ago. And 2000 before then, um, not just was it electing George Bush uh, twice, but the Democrats themselves were different, um, so they, 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 some of them are still different, I guess, in Georgia. Um, so there's been a lot of change. Uh, you are, you're Gwinnett County, 
um, is the kind of county that everyone's pointing to saying, well, that's the direction for Democrats, right? Like, um, so when you were running for office for state representative, um, what was it that helped you win, like, to kind of harness that, that change that's happening in your part of Georgia to victory? Did you know what was changing? And you were like, yeah, I'm going to be along for a ride. Or did you kind of not drag it along, but kind of, you know, lead the charge for it to, to change? So, so back in 2016, uh, when I first ran for office, I was challenging a three-term Republican chairwoman uh, who was a high school principal for 30 years in the area, was very well-respected, well-liked, incredibly kind and charming lady. I, I don't really have anything bad to say about her other than her voting record, which was terrible, quite frankly, um, which I highlighted. Um, but, you know, the the... the the secret sauce, I should say, uh, for my success, not just in that first campaign, uh, but in others, was talking to people, mm -hmm. right? As simple as that. Um, and for, to be more specific and not facetious, I should say, um, you know, it was reaching out to uh, uh, low propensity uh, communities of color who may not have ever been engaged by the political process before. Um, you know, when I was looking at the data and, and, you know, again, coming from a policy background, being informed by facts, information, data is so important in, in terms of the work that we're trying to do, especially when it comes to good public policy. Um, but when I was looking at the voting, the, the voting file, however you want to call it, um, you know, based on my analysis, there was clearly a Democratic majority that was there, you know, in 2016. Um, it wasn't, my district at the time was not yet majority minority. It was rapidly diversifying, um, but it was really identifying those likely Democratic voters who may have never been contacted before or who, who may have never voted before, um, either oftentimes ignored, uh, who I spent the most amount of my time reaching out to. Right, with the understanding that there is a new American majority in my district, um, let's reach out to them. Um, and you know, the, the story that I shared to them, my elevator speech was essentially the same one that I shared with you earlier, which was, you know, my name is Sam. Um, I'm running to expand access to healthcare. I'm, I'm fighting to make sure every Georgian has access to healthcare because my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer and access to healthcare. Medicare, Medicaid, public health insurance gave her a fighting chance, which I believe mm -hmm. every Georgian should have. What do you care about? Mm -hmm. And so I think it was the direct, uh, it was canvassing, right? This face-to-face -face communications uh, in which having those, you know, eye-to-eye -eye conversations helps pierce through the information bubbles that we're all in. But it also demonstrated that I was here to serve them. But, um, you know, it, it was in part, you know, talking to voters about why I was running, but it was also to, to talk with them, to hear from those I was trying to serve, um, to, to, know, to get a better understanding of what they cared about, what, what issues that they faced. And I think in doing so, it demonstrated that one, I was there to serve them, but two, that it was the beginning of building trust, which is, I think, so important, especially in today's uh, day and age. Do you, you're a younger Democrat running. Um, so, so you're a younger Democrat running and winning. 
Uh, and I assume that there are a lot of other younger Democrats. I've talked to the bunch who have been running for office um, across the country. Do you think that now there's more national networks that can help um, encourage, train, kind of give you the tips to to win and to really make sure that you're a polished candidate for whatever office you're running for? Absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I think there's still um, structural challenges mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, infra infrastructure that exists uh, to support first-time candidates. I know uh, I, I faced some barriers when it came to that, just as an unknown candidate who was deemed not viable. But what what is how is viability determined, right? I mean, the fact that I'm the first Asian-American openly gay man ever elected to the Georgia State Legislature. Well, prior to that point, clearly I was not viable because there had never been an Asian American Democrat elected to the state legislature. There had never been an openly gay man elected to the state legislature. But but after that point, you know, in our county commission at the local and the state level, we've seen enormous strides in progress. Um, you know, I was the only Asian American to serve uh, during the 2017 uh, legislative session, as an example. Today, now we have five Asian American um, um, elected officials and have broken numerous barriers. We've elected the first Chinese American, first Filipino, first um, uh, Bangladeshi, first Vietnamese, um, all because we were able to demonstrate what is possible. One additional thing I'd add, especially when it comes to the next generation um, and, and the need for the next generation of leaders to rise up at all levels of government, state, local, local, state, and federal, um, is we've always seen progress and, and change being driven by the next generation. Um, the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. I think, is a perfect example of that, in which I believe John Lewis was 17 or 18 years old uh, when, when he bled for the right to vote on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Um, and, and, you know, again, I think especially in this moment, um, and we saw this during the presidential election as well, in which we saw a huge surge of, of young voters, Gen, Gen Z and millennials turning out. Um, and hopefully we'll see that. Yeah. And, you know, Georgia is really the state where you now have many more symbols of progress and success than you have had in a long time. And they're different than the Democratic symbols of success. We just had you know, after Joe Biden saw you, he went to see, or before he went to see um, Jimmy Carter, who I think, you know, he, not that he's not a good person, he's great, who did a lot of good things, um, but, you know, the Democrats now are different, and you now have, um, you know, I remember I was here in Pennsylvania just tweeting about how excited I was to see uh, Raphael Warnock win and see you guys flip, but that, to Georgians and to yourself and to the people you've been organizing with for years, that must like be like plugging in a lamp into a high energy store. I don't know. It must be like is euphoric in terms of what that means, not just for the country, but like for the energy you have there now. So it was a breath of relief, at least for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for many organizers as well. Um, you know, it's Stacey good to see work so pay off and not just like someone win because they're the D or the R, but like you guys, it paid off that you did work and it worked. Right, right. Well, well I, I say that it was a breath of relief because, you know, I think the vast majority of those who've been organizing on the ground 
realized and saw the potential for Georgia to turn blue going back to 2018 mm-hmm. when Stacey was running for governor. Um, all of the all the pieces uh, were there, and so um, especially for those who have been you know on the ground getting folks registered to vote and and doing what they can to increase civic participation amongst immigrant communities as well. Um, you know, it, it's you know the demographic changes that we are experiencing that are providing us opportunities for there to be uh, political change is, is being is being driven in part by generational change in which you know people who mm-hmm. are born and raised are simply coming of age that's driving and ensuring greater diversity and and ultimately I think what what that's allowing us to do uh, is is uh, is for there to be a new Democratic Party to emerge in Georgia, um, one that is very much different um, from the Southern Dixiecrats who were Democrats because Abe Lincoln freed the slaves, uh, who mm-hmm. the you know the Democrats of Jim Crow, um, going again back to the, the mid 1800s um, up until the 2000s that were in power. Once Sonny Perdue became the first Republican governor in 100, 200 years uh, uh, to represent Georgia, well, where did all those Southern Dixiecrats go? Right? Did they simply vanish? No, they they literally switched parties and are currently the chairman of multiple committees uh, in the Georgia House and, and Georgia State Legislature right now. Um, all of that to say, you know, while we've made enormous strides. Um, yes, it was a, a euphoric moment and a breath of relief, knowing that democracy was very much alive and well, that all the time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears that we poured into trying to encourage and inspire our fellow neighbors to turn out and use the power that they have, for us to be witness to that that inflection point um, was was fantastic, but the work is far from over. Yeah. And, and you know, we saw the backlash to the success that we experienced as well. And more than anything, you know, for the next few years, I mean, I know in Pennsylvania, y'all have experienced this as well, especially given how terribly gerrymandered y'all are, um, you know, for the foreseeable future, at least the next five, you know, four to six years, um, Republicans are going to have control over the legislature. Mm-hmm. While there remain opportunities statewide, as all those pieces are still very much in place, and more likely than not, those trends will continue, given the ability for Republicans to gerrymander, particularly in light of the legal environment provided by Rucho v. Common Cause and the conservative Supreme Court uh, majority, uh, conservative majority on the Supreme Court, you know, we still face significant hurdles um, as to making strides when it comes to laws at the state level and so um you know happy but but also you know getting ready for the, the, ne- the next chapter well at least here in pennsylvania going forward um you know we're a little bit more hopeful because our redistricting this time will be better than last time we have a democratic governor democratic supreme court um we've we've changed some things so you know the, the our state legislative redistricting is going to be fair. I don't know what that's going to mean. No one knows what's going to mean yet, but um, certainly will be less crazy than it was last time. Um, but you have all those trends. And I think when I hear that, one thing I think about is like after Barack Obama won, a lot of Democrats said, great, we won. We have 60 seat majority. We're great. Everything's going to be terrific. And obviously that's, that's not true. Um, 
for people, especially who were very eager to make change in 2020, now that it's 2021, going to 2022, what are the things you think people need to stay energized about, especially on the state level, um, as, you know, to go and make sure that they're getting good candidates to run or they're running themselves? What are those issues that you think are most important that you see um, that people really need to organize around and make a difference? Well, well, first and foremost, I would say, and I'll go to the federal level as well, you know, Georgia was transformative. We helped change the course of this country by ensuring a Democratic majority in the U.S. Senate. So let's make the most of all the opportunities that we have over these next two years. Top of mind for me, especially coming from Georgia, are voting rights and democracy reform. So HR1 and HR4, again, are top of mind. I know Reverend Warnock, you know, these are issues that he has championed his entire life and is continuing to do so uh, as a U.S. senator. Um, but, you know, from, from democracy reform, protecting voting rights, to the Equality Act, uh, to, to the PRO Act, to, to strengthen the power of unions, to build out the middle, the, the middle class, um, let's make the most of gun safety reform. Let's make the most of all the opportunity we have at the federal level and be clear-eyed with the challenges that we continue to face um, at the state level um, in, in Georgia and in other states as mm-hmm. well. I think the debates over SB 202 uh, that were so you know gut-wrenching and terrible, especially in light of the insurrection that we saw, the, the, the physical attack that we saw on our youth's capital, um, for them to double down um, and to continue to move in, in this manner that's you know, undermining um, American credibility abroad, but also attacking our, our democracy at home, um, I think that is an issue that's going to be foremost in many people's minds. But a lot of the challenges that we continue to face remain. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen any significant, meaningful progress when it comes to health care in Georgia. Um, Governor Kemp uh, did pass a waiver, um, but it would require work requirements that I think are being reviewed or have been rejected by CMS. Um, but at most, it would cover, I think, 25 to 50,000 low-income Georgians out of 500,000. Georgia remains, um, continues to have one of the highest, excuse me, uninsured rates in the nation, one of the highest infant and uh, maternal mortality rates. We have an HIV epidemic and an opioid epidemic. Um, and, and so healthcare is first and foremost, I think, in my mind, along with many others. Um, then it's the economic recovery, I think, that we have to ensure that there is as much um, equity um, that we're able to inject um, as, we, as we recover moving forward. Um, and a critical component of that, of course, is education. Um, incredibly excited about the president's initiatives uh, for two years of pre-K, two years of community college to ensure that there's 16 years of public education. Excellent, excellent first step. But an enormous amount of work that still has to be done at mm-hmm. the state level to continue to provide additional layers of support um, and address, for example, the increasing cost of, of tuition. Um, and I, I serve on the Higher Education Committee. Um, one of the issues that we've continued to grapple with is um, in-state tuition for DACA recipients um, uh, dreamers um, that again should be a no-brainer, but continues to see significant opposition from Republicans, given how xenophobic and anti-immigrant the Republican base has become. Um, yeah, do you think? 
I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, and I, I know I'm taking up a lot of your time now, but um, I, I feel like maybe it's my hope in people or my cynicism, I don't know, but you have these legislators, these Republican legislators who are doing things that are hurtful or xenophobic and racist, like you said. How much of that do you think is, and I'm not asking you to point anyone out, of course, um, do you think that that is like their sincere belief or just their fear of a base that's been driven by insanity from OAN, from Newsmax. I've heard from legislators in different places across the country that there are a lot of rather decent people, almost like the person you said you defeated, who, you know, they don't have, their values are, I'm afraid of these people more than anything else. So I'd say it's a mixed bag. Yeah. I think there are some Same legislators, here. though I don't know if I'd say they're necessarily the majority, but without a doubt, a significant faction um, who believes all this, mm-hmm. right? Who believes that there was election fraud, um, believes the big lie of, of Trump, um, and, and they are continuing to go down that path. Without a doubt in my mind, there's also a significant faction within the Republican Party uh, who are very, very good, decent people who have to say this kind of rhetoric and, and vote for these sorts of bills because that's what their voters are demanding. Mm-hmm. And so it's this... It's this terrible cycle in which, I mean, you know, the fear mongering that they put out during the campaign that says, you know, Democrats are socialists, they're going to destroy our country. I mean, you know, how do you walk back from that? How do you then go back to the same voters that you said this information about and say, oh, now now we're going to compromise? Well, of course, that's why Republicans, Mm -hmm. Republican voters think compromise is a bad idea. How can you compromise with someone who you say is destroying the country? All of that to say, you know, I'm born and raised in Georgia. I love my state very much. And I know that, you know, the vast majority of Georgians are not radical extremists, um, either on the left or the right. When all is said and done, people just want good government and Mm -hmm. and they want to be left alone. They want an opportunity uh, to live their lives and, and, again, not be told what to do. Right. There's a lot of opportunity in which we can do that, especially given the pressing challenges that we face. But, you know, how do we move forward, um, particularly when, you know, 70 percent of Republicans still believe that President Biden is not our real president and that 70 percent continues to drive Republican elected officials, even if they don't necessarily believe that, um, but that they continue to believe that. And that idea, those those that falsehood is reinforced by all the information that they are receiving. It's a very challenging uh, period of time. At least in my mind, the only solution, at least at this point, is you got to unseat Republicans and make sure at the very least they're not in positions of power to do harm. Um, um, You know, you know, be in timeout for a little bit, right? Figure out, you know, where y'all stand in terms of, principles and values and demonstrate that with your actions um and and then let's have that competition of ideas as to what is the best way in which we can demonstrate our shared american values yeah well and the only way to the, the only way to win is to run so i'm sure that that's a pretty good encouragement to to uh people to run for office at even a local level right you see that because you're you're a state rep, but you do work with a lot of local people, so you see the power that good government does on a local level too. Absolutely, all politics is local. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and when all is said and done, politics is the art of relationships, of yep. maintaining good relations with your fellow neighbors. And so you can't necessarily do that in a theoretical ma manner. You have to engage, be present, uh, talk with you know folks that you may disagree with, uh, even, uh, as a way of beginning to build those bridges that are necessary. And if you're able to build from the ground up in that manner, um, I think that makes our our country that much stronger. And, and, you know, as challenging as the problems that we face are, it does give me hope. And without a doubt in my mind, you know, I think we will be much better off as the next generation rises up. Um, we need the next generation to rise up, particularly to, to tackle uh, the, the significant uh, existential challenges that we face, um, such as climate change, such as the acceleration of Technology, which is continuing to cause economic uh, uncertainty and, and, and disruption. Um, but yeah, um, there's no doubt in my mind that, and, and I think this COVID pandemic has demonstrated to me uh, that as Americans, if we can come together, there's nothing we can't do. Well, that's just not, that's not disruptive. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, like, I'm on a local level and I don't have an opponent this year. I'm up for real Hickson. And I think that's a big part of that is because. You know, you create trust in what you're doing. Um, but if people want to learn more about you and want to follow the most important state in the country right now, because you guys save the world in a very literal sense, um, where where would you ask people to follow you on social media or any other media? Uh, so uh, my website is uh, samforgeorgia.com, all spelled out. Um, Sam for Georgia, all spelled out. That's my Twitter handle and Facebook as well. And then on Instagram, I am uh, Rep Sam Park. Well, I really encourage everyone to follow Sam. I have been excited for months to talk with you. Um, and I'm glad I did, obviously, meeting expectations. I hope that everyone that's listening um, will be encouraged to run for office at any level. And please pay attention to Georgia because what they're doing and have done um, is transformative for the whole country. So thank you so much. And please follow Sam for Georgia on Twitter and you should run for office too. Thanks for having me. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day. Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Georgia on my mind I said Georgia Georgia A song of you Sweet and clear is moonlight through the pines.